We're starting off from Exodus 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. The next passage comes from Deuteronomy 15, starting from verse 7. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye looked grudgingly on your poor brother, and you shall give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give it to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, in all that you undertake. The last passage comes from Luke. We're doing chapter 19. We're starting from verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of the man, son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather to read your word today, uh, to know your son Jesus. And I pray that you help me be clear as I preach your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Google it. Right, if I say that, I'm sure many of you here would know what I'm talking about. Right? It's the leading internet search engine that has now become a verb, right? an action that you do to look up information online. So when I say Google it, everyone straight away thinks, you don't think of Google, the company, or sorry, it's not called Google anymore, is it? Um, but you don't think of the search engine, uh, you think of a verb, right? Nowadays, if you want to know an answer to something, you simply Google it, don't you? For example, like, what's the weather like tomorrow? Well, I actually, that one, I don't think you need Google. I can tell you, hot today, hot tomorrow, hot the day after, hot the whole rest of the week. <laughs> or maybe you've got a question like, what goes into that delicious Norman tart I ate in Tasmania last week? Or are there post-credit scenes to the latest Spider-Man movie? Yeah, there are two, by the way. Okay, I'll save, I'll save the spoilers. Or what makes us, you know, what, what exactly makes us itch to, to find answers? 
Uh, I think it's our curiosity, isn't it? It's our inquisitiveness. Uh, we want to observe. We want to know and we want to see and verify things. We want to know if something is true or not. Right, to use our eyes, ears, nose, touch to induce if something is real. I mean, it's the same reason why crowds uh, gather around a celebrity, right? They all jostle and they all want to peek and see if uh, who's actually there, the celebrity, does he actually look like the pictures? And I bet it's uh, probably the same reason why uh, you're here listening to me on, on, on a Sunday right after Christmas, right? What exactly has Darius or Dariush been preparing to speak about? Uh, what is Luke 19 verse 1 to 10 about? Uh, maybe some of you are curious about Jesus ever since you found out the shocking truth about Christmas that, that Santa's not actually real. Um, or perhaps some of you here today have a larger curiosity about the, the meaning of life. Uh, whatever it is, we can surely identify with the passage today. That's quite a well-known story uh, told a lot in um, Sunday school uh, about a man who's kind of just like us, right? He wants to quench his curiosity. He's a man who is a genuine seeker. And this man, when he finds out what he's looking for, uh, he's actually in for a big, a big surprise. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been in Luke's uh, research journal. And for those who've just joined us, uh, Dr. Luke writes this account in an investigative fashion. Right? Uh, back in Luke 1, he explains that he's compiled a narrative of eyewitness accounts concerning Jesus. And it's so that we will have certainty of who Jesus is and what he comes to do. Now, at this point in the story, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and to the temple, which is kind of the epicenter of Jewish society and religion. And the, they, were ex, they were anticipating a, a conqueror, right, who would overthrow their enemies and establish Israel back to his glory days. Uh, however, as we've seen in Luke, uh, the type of king, the kind of kingdom Jesus' reign and rule is not really what the people expected. And it's on this journey that we see people from all walks of life, really, uh, respond to King Jesus, right? We saw outcasts suffering from leprosy, morally and religiously self-righteous, ultra-high net worth individuals, uh, blind beggars, all responding to Jesus. All of them giving us different pictures of how individuals respond to the King. So please keep your Bibles open to Luke 19 as we discover what a man uh, truly seeking Jesus finds out about the one who came to seek him. So we're in verse 1 to 4, and in, in, in these verses, Jesus is passing through Jericho, right, a town not too far from Jerusalem. And we are introduced to this man named Zacchaeus, a Jewish man. Right, his name means uh, innocent in Greek, which is really ironic as we'll see later on. Uh, and in verse 2, we get an introduction to Zacchaeus. He is a chief tax collector and he's rich. Right? Two designations nobody likes. And Luke gives us quite a scathing introduction from the get-go. Uh, but the introduction also helps us uh, frame who Zacchaeus is. Right? Much in the same way you would frame me if I said, um, uh, Hi, I'm Darius. Uh, I spent the last five years serving out my sentence for credit card fraud. But now I work for the Australian tax office. <laughs> right? You, you would, immediately you have labels and stereotypes jump into your mind, right? You would put me in a category in your head as a certain type of person. So that's, that's kind of what this description is doing. So let's dig a, a bit deeper into what they mean. Firstly, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And these are the uh, people who are despised in Jewish society. And for good reason, right? They were government officials 
who would profit off fellow Jews by levying additional tax on top of the tax that they would already pay. And they are often labelled as uh, sinners, right? People with the least kind of moral standing in society. Now, adding on to that, he's not just, not just any tax collector, uh, but the chief tax collector, right? Regional director, CEO, group manager, overseeing a group of tax collectors for the district of Jericho for the Roman Empire, right? And not just that, he takes a cut of their earnings, puts it in his pocket, goes back to enjoy it. Now, if that isn't already bad, we get another descriptor. He's rich, right? Double whammy. Now, there's nothing wrong with being rich, but in just the previous chapter, we read about the rich ruler who couldn't give up his wealth to follow Jesus, right? The rich in Luke are often described as people of heavily attached to their earthly assets and wealth. They can't give them up to follow Jesus. Now, we can see Zacchaeus is by no means innocent or clean, as his name suggests. Uh, his hands are stained with the charge of defrauding his own people uh, of their money. So, what's going to happen when Zacchaeus uh, meets Jesus? Let's keep reading to find out. Let's look at verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, uh, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. Okay. Zacchaeus is curious about this Jesus figure, maybe He's heard of um, his miracles or, you know, heard that he's perhaps a great Jewish teacher. So he's keen, right, to catch a glimpse of, of who this Jesus guy is. Uh, but two obstacles really stand in his way. Uh, number one uh, was a crowd and number two was his small size. Of course, being the, the genius tax collector that he is, he doesn't let those things get in his way, right? He works around them, running ahead of the crowd, climbs up a tree and waits for Jesus there. And I know it doesn't sound like much or you might have heard this things in Sunday school. Uh, but I think here we are beginning to see Zacchaeus' earnest desire to seek Jesus. Right? Even if he didn't get a chance to do a meet and greet, I think his actions are very telling of his heart. Right? A real earnest desire to seek Jesus. Perhaps even willing to ignore his reputation as a government official and to climb up a tree. Now the story continues in verse 5. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, uh, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now notice uh, anything striking here. Zacchaeus doesn't say anything, right? Instead, who speaks first? It's Jesus that makes the first move, right? He even knows his names. He makes the initiative. And unlike the blind beggar in the previous chapter, where he cries out to Jesus among the crowds. This time, Jesus calls out to a person amidst the mob. I mean, you can imagine Jesus walking up to a tree, stops, he looks up, random sycamore tree, he sees a short guy, talks to Zacchaeus, and the whole crowd around him starts to mutter and murmur under their breath, like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> Just walking to a random tree and talking to a guy. I think Zacchaeus starts out wanting to catch a glimpse of Jesus, but but now he will get much, much more. Right? He will host Jesus. He will be in the company of Jesus. And he will be in association with Jesus. Not just having a peek through the branches, but actual interaction. I think that this is really something the crowds didn't expect. And then, clearly, Jesus has no problems at all, right? Hanging out with the likes of a tax collector. No issues associating with someone like Zacchaeus. So what happens next? We read, 
So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I mean, just look at the contrast between the attitude of the crowd and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus joyfully, happily and cheerily. And the crowds? How did they respond? They, they gripe. They grumble. And not just some of them. What does it say? All of them grumble. I mean, that's such a sharp contrast, isn't it? Something we are, we are clearly meant to see. Now, I think the crowd's unhappiness really reflects their disapproving heart, doesn't it? Uh, on one level, they protest that Jesus associates with a, you know, a morally crooked individual who defrauds his fellow man for profit. I mean, nobody wants to befriend someone like that. Uh, yet Jesus doesn't seem to care, right? He, he wants to do it. And he says... I must stay at your house. In other words, I must associate with people like you, Zacchaeus, uh, people who are labelled sinners and beyond hope. And on another level, and I think a, a deeper level, uh, they, the crowds really disqualify Zacchaeus as a host of Jesus, don't they? They look at him and they shake their heads at someone like Zacchaeus, right? unhappy and disapproving that he should be the host of Jesus. I mean, Surely, he shouldn't stay at the house of, of this guy. Can't someone who's a better representative of the Jews host Jesus? Not this corrupt, short guy. And I know we read this and we might think, oh yeah, <laughs> of course. How can the crowds grumble like that, right? Why are they grumbling anyway? Jesus is a free man. He can walk to whatever tree he likes. He can invite himself to uh, stay with whoever he wants to. But I'm not so sure if we would have acted differently. I mean, just stop to think about it. If, if we put ourselves in their shoes, uh, we might have disagreed too. Imagine uh, what if, right, the Pope or someone really famous uh, visits Brisbane. He touches down, exits the airport. Huge crowds follow him. And he goes straight to the valley, doesn't want to stay with anyone else goes there, meets a stranger who's on the doll and consumes 15 cones of marijuana a day and says, I want to be a guest at your house today. If you were part of the crowd, what will you say? You know, what will you mutter under your breath when you see that? I'm not sure we would have acted very differently from the crowds. The story now zooms in on Zacchaeus and a big statement he makes uh, in verse 8. Right? Zacchaeus stands up. Uh, whether in the crowd or in his house, details aren't clear, but it doesn't matter. Either way, he is making a big declaration to show his resolve to make things right. Let's look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. I mean, this guy is totally committed to righting his wrongs, right? 100% committed to repenting. And he, he admits that he's guilty of defrauding people. He shows remorse. He decides to give generously to the poor and the defrauded individuals. And looking at his statements on a surface level, it might seem like, yeah, it's only right. This guy is a guilty man. He's cheated so many. He should right his wrongs, Right? But I think taken together, it's a picture of a seriously penitent and contrite man. Really, he wants to repent of his ways, to turn back to God's ways, 
right, to being a true follower of God. Now, we must remember Zacchaeus is a Jewish man, so the details of what he says runs a lot deeper than we think. There's more than meets the eye. Okay? He wants to fulfill the Old Testament laws. He wants to go back to doing things God's ways, to make amends with God, not to continue doing things His way. The half of my goods I give to the poor, he says. The gui- and, and the guideline for Jews in treating the poor is to lend sufficiently with generosity, right? We just read that in Deuteronomy 15. Now, if liquidating half your assets as a demonstration of how repentant you are isn't resolved, I, I don't know what is. Okay, cutting your net worth in half, halving your investment assets, stocks, bitcoins, mutual funds, options, savings, investment properties, halving your net worth. I mean, I'm not sure anyone willing to go to that length to be uh, made right with God. By any standard, giving away 50% of your net worth to the poor while you're alive is as generous as it gets. Now, the next big thing he says is that he'll pay back 400% right, of all that he's defrauded. Uh, keep in mind, Zacchaeus isn't just your run-of-the-mill tax collector. Right? He's the regional director, right? the chief, right? group manager with likely a team under him. I mean, who knows how much they've defrauded uh, the fellow Jews. And then now he wants to restore his victims by four times to return 400%. Again, there are guidelines for the Jews in those days, according to Old Testament law, uh, for what happens if you steal from fellow Jews. Right? They are to repay four to five times the amount stolen. So, looking at Zacchaeus' statements and what he just said, uh, it's it obvious where this guy's heart is. Right? He wants to make amends. He wants to repent and make restitution. Uh, not for his own sake, but he wants to do it with God, to turn back to God. Right? In front of Jesus, his blind eyes are now open. Open to see his own wrongdoing and sin before God. And now he wants to turn back to God's ways, to live according to God's laws. Now, to be clear, this passage is not saying that if you're wealthy, okay, giving half your assets is a requirement to following Jesus. That's what it is not saying. Okay? It is not saying either that followers of Jesus must imitate uh, the Zacchaeus level of charity and altruism. Instead, what it is showing is a really um, beautiful picture of genuine faith, right? Uh, a real saving faith and repentance from the least likely person, a, a sinner who's trespassed God. Let's look at the last two verses, where Jesus now responds and says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Uh, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, in a big turnaround, the seeker finds that, ooh, he instead has been the one sought after, right? Jesus reveals his mission as God's salvation for the lost, for people just like Zacchaeus. Now, on one hand, Jesus is affirming that Zacchaeus has been saved, right? Zacchaeus has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Uh, His repentance, contrite heart, desire to to live God's ways shows him to be a genuine believer, right? Great. And and a, a Jewish sinner can be saved, Right? despite all his cheating and dishonest background and the crowds who really disqualify him uh, and misjudge his faith. Now, this is a man willing to change his life for God. Uh, but I think 
uh, on top of that, and, and in an even greater and surprising way, uh, Jesus is saying something quite remarkable. Uh, he is pointing to himself as the salvation of God. Right? Zacchaeus' turnaround in life is just one part of the picture, really. Uh, the other extraordinary part is that Jesus is the rescue of God himself. He comes to this world on a mission to seek and save the lost. And this is, this is what uh, Dr. Luke has been writing about since chapter 1. Right? This is what Simeon and Anna were so joyous about as we heard Pastor Ben preach yesterday. It's consistent with the mission that Jesus has been on since the start of Luke. I mean, Luke is writing so that we can see that the Lord God of Israel has visited and redeemed His people. God has raised up His greatest salvation, the mighty and valiant deliverer for the lost. I mean, that, that's who Jesus is, right? The one that delivers and restores relationship with God. So what's even more amazing on top of Zacchaeus' genuine faith is Jesus, right? He's the wonderful reason why repentant sinners like Zacchaeus can respond with genuine faith. Jesus takes the initiative. And we read before all the negative examples of the rich, right, in previous parts of Luke. But here we see that the rich can go through the eye of the needle, the least likely can enter God's kingdom. What is impossible with God, uh, what is impossible with man is possible with God because of Jesus. I mean, look at the grumbling crowds. They, they really missed the plot, right? They really misjudged the moment, didn't they? They think that Jesus makes a mistake associating with someone like Zacchaeus, but they miss what he came to do. That's precisely what he came to do. Right? He doesn't come for those who have no need for healing. He comes for those who are sick. He comes to call sinners to repentance. And so the narrative ends, right? We see the curious man, Zacchaeus, as a true seeker. A true seeker, right? He finds what he's looking for and he gets much, much more. Uh, he discovers that it's actually Jesus who is the one who has come to seek him. And I think this is meant for us today to respond with ongoing faith and repentance in Jesus and to rejoice right, when the lost are found. So what does it mean for us then? I think it means if that we have real faith, our lives will have real change. Uh, this passage hones in on genuine faith, building on the previous pictures of true saving faith we've seen in Luke. Right? We are meant to read them together to understand what it means to respond to King Jesus. And this one, it, it fo focuses particularly on genuine repentance that costs Zacchaeus something. Now, if we have real faith in Jesus, uh, it will mean our lives will have real change. A wholehearted desire to seek God, real change in our worldviews, perhaps real change in our life goals. Maybe what sort of mortgage we commit ourselves to, how much we invest and save, how tightly we hold on to wealth, or maybe how you speak to our spouses when tempers flare, right? how we speak to our housemates when we get annoyed, the tone with our kids when they don't listen, uh, or, or the way we treat each other with love, uh, forgiveness, and forbear forbearance. And real change means we are willing to part with our sins, our habits, tendencies, gripes, grievances, and to turn around, right? just like Zacchaeus, to respond in repentance and faith in Jesus. And then let God and the Holy Spirit work in us to produce good fruit. Now perhaps you're here for the first time 
or you're not a Christian, you know, maybe you're thinking that given what you've done in the past, uh, God would never want to save you. Or you're sitting on the fence at Jesus' invitation. This whole Jesus deal, just too good to be true. Wherever you're at, He is making the same invitation today. Right? God has taken the initiative to make Himself known through, through His Word, really. To, to know, He's given us a way to know His Son, Jesus. So Christmas was yesterday and, and throughout this season you probably had glimpses at Jesus whether it's the nativity set you know, singing carols hearing Christmas songs whatever it is you've had a glimpse of Jesus and maybe just like Zacchaeus who sought a glimpse of Jesus you receive an invitation to host him maybe just like Zacchaeus who was initially curious to catch a glimpse you receive uh, an invitation for Jesus to come into your house, into your life. And when you do come and seek, things will change, right? Being a Christian isn't uh, just mouthing words and attending church. Uh, life will change. Sometimes that's hard and that's okay, right? That's, that's a good thing and that's supposed to happen. Uh, because being sought after and saved by Jesus is the only way uh, the lost can find their way. So please, please, uh, consider the invitation that Jesus is making to know Him. And for those of us who follow Jesus, this narrative gives us great comfort and assurance, doesn't it? Comfort to know that Jesus affirms those who are genuinely repentant and those who have faith in Him. And so we are encouraged to keep going, right? It doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for one year, two years, 10, 20, 30, 40, all your life. It doesn't matter. Jesus is a King and a Saviour who recognizes and sees genuine faith. Right? He isn't some far away person. He isn't far removed uh, from the difficulties we face in living for Him. He affirms those who desire to live for Him. Now, knowing that King Jesus affirms the lost who desire Him then gives us all the reason to rejoice, right? to be really glad, to be truly happy uh, when the lost find Jesus, right? to have a true sense of delight and happiness when you see perhaps an undeserving person that you might have disqualified before respond with saving faith. Right? Someone who you thought wouldn't turn to Jesus because of their past wrongdoing or crime or, or sin. Now, you can be genuinely glad when, for example, maybe you've got a really foul-mouthed, uh, crude friend who wants to find Jesus. Uh, or maybe you've got this uh, backstabbing colleague who uh, suddenly wants to go to church. Or you've got a relative who, who hates Christians, who thinks very lowly of them, and now suddenly is curious and he wants to know God. To be truly delighted over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I think we can wholeheartedly express joy because the, the greatest answer for the lost, right? The finest reward for those who are seeking in life, the, the best news we've ever heard, the ultimate hope anyone can rejoice in is that Jesus has come to seek out and save the lost, right? Lost people like you, lost people like me, lost people like everyone else out there. Let's bow our heads together to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, the Saviour sent to seek out and save the lost. Uh, we thank you for the story of Zacchaeus that shows us a beautiful picture of genuine faith and repentance. And we give you great thanks that it is Jesus who makes 
it possible for the lost to find their way. Lost people who are rebellious can now come to Jesus to be saved. Lord, please help us to have ongoing trust and faith in Jesus and also to rejoice with a deep sense of happiness when the lost are found. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.